Good morning to you. Welcome to Get Up With God. Are you ready to start your day today? Grab a Bible, grab a notepad for six points at 6 a.m. Today's discussion, we're going to be talking about Christians and politics. It's not the subject, but we're going to be discussing the subject of Christians and politics. So I don't want you to think we're going to be talking politics this morning, but we are strictly going to be talking about the concept and idea. Are Christians supposed to be involved in government and politics? Well, unfortunately for you and those that don't really care about politics and government, the Bible seems to think a different way. So let's get into this this morning. We're going to pray. Grab a notepad, grab a Bible, maybe grab a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and enjoy your morning. And as always, be sure to subscribe on the YouTube channel if you haven't, and subscribe to my newsletter, and we will get out these six points at 6 a.m. to you so that if you miss the show or you want to share it with somebody, you have all the bullet points that we go to and you can study on your own. Thank you for everybody that joins and subscribes to the show and supports the show. It is because of you that we're able to make this great quality and have a good production for you and glorify God in what we do. So let's pray and let's get into the show this morning. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We lift you up and glorify you. We thank you for everything you are doing for us, Lord. But we thank you for what you have done and for just who you are. Lord, you could do nothing else for us the rest of our life on this planet. We know that that's not the case, but we 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 believe that if you did nothing else for us, we'd still be thankful and we'd be gracious and we'd be so happy for what you have done for us and what uh, promises there are for us in heaven. So we just worship you now, Lord. And we thank you for that, for the promise of heaven, for eternity. I speak over every person listening under the sound of my voice that you'd bless them, increase them, and be with them as they move forward in their life. Help them and give them direction in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, let's get into this this morning. I hope you're having a great day so far. I know I am, and today's episode is going to be wonderful. Again, this is 6 points, 6 a.m. The title of today's uh, podcast is is Christians and politics. Let's get into into this. Point number one, government is not the standard. Point number one, government is not the standard. The government slash tyrannical leaders are sporadically uh, littered throughout the Bible, but uh, the government and tyrannical leaders are mentioned often in the Bible, just to name a few. There's King Ahab and his nasty wife Jezebel, and how they ruled a kingdom and, and made very bad decisions in their kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar, how he did the same thing, was a tyrannical leader, a dictator in his day. And then there was King Herod. We know more recently in the, well, I wouldn't say recently in our time, but in the New Testament, King Herod was mentioned and uh, did some tyrannical things. And there's there's dozens of other ones that we could go through. I mean, littered through the book of First and Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel. We could go through multiple tyrannical leaders that are mentioned in the Bible. And throughout these leadership, these these tyrannical leaders reign. There was governments mentioned, politics mentioned. Um, there's governors and, and policies and, and different Senate seats and just different levels and branches of government mentioned throughout the scriptures. And my, my bringing that up is to reference to you that there's always been evil within the government. The government is not the standard for you and for me. As the Christian, our standard is Christ. Our standard is Jesus Christ. He becomes our, our minimum requirement for our standard is Jesus. That's what we should strive to be like. 
The Bible talks about in Ephesians that we have, uh, uh, there's ministry gifts given to me and to you as the sheep of the church of the body of Christ that we could be brought to maturity like Christ. So there's always been tyrannical and evil leaders mentioned and sprued about through the, the Bible, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. It's never going to change. I, I said this before I had the opportunity of preaching at my church while my pastor was out of town and I said something, I uh, got a, uh, it got a loud uh, roaring laugh about it, but I've lost complete hope in the government actually doing anything right. I, I don't even think that they're going to make the right decisions anymore. So my point in saying that was that I just don't get frustrated anymore when our government, and I'm talking about in the United States, I know we have some people in like uh, um, different parts of the world that watch the podcast and listen to the podcast, but you know, and I know it's worse in some countries. I don't know how much worse it can get other than actually, you know, carrying out some of the threats and things that they do. But our country is pretty corrupt. Um, our government, I should say, is very corrupt. Even the good ones, the right and the left, I'm not for any team. I mean, if you had to call me something, you'd probably call me a conservative if you had to label me something. But I'm not on a party. I'm on the Christ party. I want to be on the party with Jesus. I'm on the party Whatever party is going to the marriage supper of the lamb after the rapture, I want to be a part of that party because that's the party that I want to be at. But I don't want to make this about specific parties and, and about politics, but I want you to understand that you don't have the choice as a Christian to exclude yourself from government things. And I'm going to show you scripturally where this is the case. So number one, government is not the standard for the Christian. Just because the government says that this is how things should be and this is how things should go, that doesn't mean that's the standard for you and me. Even if something goes into policy, even if something is in the Constitution of the United States, if it contradicts the Christian's doctrine and Bible based on Jesus Christ, we can't be a part of it. We can't be, we can't, that cannot be our standard. So, number one, government is not the standard. Number two, the devil. I want to get into this real hard and heavy this morning fast. The devil wants to destroy children. The devil wants to destroy children. Well, what does that have to do with government and politics, Dylan? I'm glad you asked because we're going to get into this. Turn with me into Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The devil, point number two, is the devil wants to destroy children. Genesis chapter 3, uh, and start in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, now to paraphrase the story, if you've never heard this story, God bless you and thank God that you're joining my show so we can get you caught up in some biblical principles. But in the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden. The devil deceived them through the serpent and uh, caused them to, uh, he, he deceived them, deceived Eve anyway, Adam sinned willingly. And so we come to the conclusion of this as God is judging the two of them and the, the people and the serpent. And the Lord says to the enemy, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field on your belly. You shall go all the, all you shall eat dust in all the days of your life. And I will put enmity. Now listen, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I am between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So now we've got from the beginning of time is there is a, 
a barrier. There is a dividing wall, an enmity. There is an, a, a direct correlation between the battle of humans and the battle of the spiritual demonic forces of the enemy. God said, I'm putting enmity between the two of you. You won't win. He's saying you'll bruise his heel, the, the back part of his heel, but he'll bruise your head. So we'll, we'll, and Jesus does conquer that we'll see here in just a minute. But number two, the point number two is the devil wants to destroy children. That's his goal. He has a, he has an intention to take out children. Turn now into the, all the way into the new Testament to Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, the devil wants to destroy children. Jump down with me to verse 13, Matthew chapter two, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise. This is the birth of Jesus. Uh, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt, I have called my son. Verse 16, now listen to this. Then Herod, this is one of the kings I told you about. There's multiple in the Bible. This is just one reference of them. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were born in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So King Herod now, uh, I don't know that they killed him in the womb. There was a they, birth, uh, pregnancies may have been aborted. I, it doesn't say that you could probably study it out, which I haven't. There may have been aborted births and things like that. But his decree was from two years old and under to be wiped off the face of the earth. That's in, uh, there. There's a term for it uh, of mass murder of children young babies from two years old and under now the debate has has sparked so large that it's become is it even a child now 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 look how this has become uh let me finish that thought and i'll get back to that second thought uh the the debate has come is it even a child is it even a human while it's still in the womb i'm gonna tell you something it's not a child when it's in the womb. It's a child when it's conceived. At the, at the moment that that seed is conceived, it's a child. Within that seed is the life of a child. But it takes the, the, uh, the seed being fertilized for it to become conceived as a child. But within that seed is the life of a child. And so now that child being birthed in the womb has become a debate. Is it even a child if we abort it at at three months at nine months at six months, whatever it is. Now there's even places that, you know, still they're, they're, they're aborting the child as it's born yet a certain amount of amount of minutes after it's been, uh, it's been taken from the womb. It's sick what they're doing, but think about the conception of this idea that the world has, has placed inside of government to destroy the life of children before they're able to have thoughts and feelings and ideas, but they want to give the child the ability to decide its gender now before it's even out of the womb. Well, how do you, how do you determine, does a doctor determine a gender and be able to identify a gender within the womb 
if the child isn't even conscious at that point to be able to decide, that's because it's a scientific fact. And the gender now, this entire debate is goes back to Genesis 3 is that the enemy wants to destroy children's lives because in the beginning conception stages of a child's life, you can manipulate and change the way, their way of thinking with input based on outward situations. You can begin to change that child in the way they think. So the enemy has a has a intention to destroy children, to get rid of children. It's been it's been this way. You can see it all the way back to Pharaoh, where Pharaoh uh, is uh, getting rid of young children and destroying children. Why why Moses had to be saved and had to the, the, his parents had to send him down the river to be adopted by another family, which, you know, who knows what her intention was, but to get rid of the child so he wasn't killed. And thank God he was adopted and made his way. And uh, then we have the book of Exodus and everything that happened through Moses's life. But from the beginning of time, the enemy has wanted to destroy children because God knows and the enemy knows that the seed of life starts from birth. The seed of life comes from a child and they grow to maturity based on their influences. And if a child can be around uh, the Holy Spirit type influences, parents filled with the Holy Ghost, church going parents, doctrine filled parents that stay solid on the word of God, that that child's going to grow up to be a fierce devil stomper and his heel may be bruised, but the devil knows that he's going to stomp the head of the enemy in his life. And so he wants to destroy it while it's weak. While the enemy can uh, take it while it's weak and the child can't defend itself lest the parents defend itself. So now the parents have been brainwashed within this doctrine of letting the child decide its gender. And these and li- that's not even the big issue. The big issue is the idea that the parents are taking their hands off of the control and taking their hands off of the uh, basically the brainwashing of their child, which is what a parent's job is to do. It's to wash your child's brain clean, to keep it from tainted things in this world. But the enemy's not going to allow that to happen. He's going to pour evil things from the parents into the children, or better yet, get rid of the parents totally to where they're occupied with their life and they don't have time to, to grow and mentor and, and nourish a child up in the way that it should go. Because the way a child grows up is the way that it will live forever. A way that a child grows up is the idea uh, uh, put inside of a child good doctrines and good things. Unless those doctrines change and someone else puts doctrines in, that's how they will go up. That's how a child will grow is by what's put into them. So unless something different gets put in, that's how they're going to grow up. And the enemy knows that because his intention, point number two, is the devil wants to destroy children. Point number three, the devil knows that his defeat is imminent. The devil knows that his defeat is imminent. Turn to Colossians chapter two. The devil already knows he's been defeated. I mean, we know that and we can shout and rejoice and we should because we have the victory already. Second Corinthians chapter two tells us that in all things we're victorious. We've already defeated the devil with uh, on the side of Jesus. So the, the devil knows that his defeat is imminent. But look at what happened to the enemy. The devil knows what happened to him. Uh, Colossians chapter two. Let me go to verse 14 says, having wiped out, this is, this is what Jesus did, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, 
having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. So Jesus already defeated the enemy. The devil knows that his defeat is imminent. He's got work to do. That's why you see this increasingly. That's why it's become, you know, if, if there were children being murdered at the age of one or two years old, there'd be an uproar. There'd be a bigger uproar, I should say. But the devil knows if we can cause the argument to fall within the, the, the mind of adults and people to say it's not really a child in the womb, it's not really a, uh, a human being inside the womb, then he can annihilate the life before the life is visible to the eyes. That's why he's doing it in the womb now. There's no reference that I can find of in, in Matthew 2 of the reference of King Herod that he was aborting children before they were born, but he was killing children from ages two and under. So it makes me believe that they were killing them in the womb. But the devil knows now, I'm not going to kill children uh, after they're out of the womb. It'd be too much of an uproar. At that point, people may get mad. So if I can kill them in the womb and uh, and deceive people's minds to get rid of them in the womb, then then people will be more okay with it and I can get more of the mass public to be okay with this murder. But now what can I do once they're out of the womb? Well, I can indoctrinate them with, with ridiculous, uh, just evil concepts of gender, uh, identity and homosexuality, same sex, uh, attraction. Where do you think this indoctr- child doesn't come out feeling that way? That spirit and that involvement is given by the people that those children are around. So the devil knows that he knows that he has to start moving faster and get attacks in place that can start to change and manipulate alive children. They can indoctrinate alive children and they may, he may not be murdering them, but their spirit is dead. Their spirit needs to be made alive with the life of Christ and needs to be brought to the power that it needs to have through the power of the Holy ghost that lives on the inside of them and fills them up and empowers them. But that's not going to happen with the parents that are, are consumed with their life. They're in debt. The world is um, completely uh, consumed with itself right now, especially in the political and the economic environment that they're in. They're not worried about raising a child. They're worried about paying the bills. They're worrying about furthering their career. They're not focused on the things that need to be because the devil knows the end is imminent. The, de- the, near, the, the time is coming soon. He can feel it. It's sensing. He can sense it. He's got things in place to be able to bring down uh, society the way he wants to. So we have work to do. Number, num- point number four. So point number three, the devil knows his defeat is imminent. Point number four, God supports. Now listen to this and write this down and make this clear. God supports defying government's evil acts. That's, you heard me right. God supports defying government's evil acts. Let me give you a reference. I'll give you two references in Matthew chapter two, verse 13. Let's go back to Matthew chapter two, verse 13. Point number four, God supports defying government's evil acts. Matthew chapter two, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek a young child to destroy him. So an angel sent by God from heaven to Joseph to tell him within a dream, 
get out of the land because there's about to be a decree. What do you, how do you think, listen, how do you think the children in this day were murdered? Someone had to allow the government in. Someone had to allow these things to happen. And the government, and the, the, you know, you got to think about this. Parents, did, did they put up a fight? There's no reference. Did they fight the, the guard? It wasn't King Herod walking into people's houses. Obviously, he sent the military or some powerful force to go kill all these children. So what happened? People bowed to this decree. They listened. They did what they were told to do. And Adam, or not Adam, but rather Joseph here, is referenced leaving town. Leaving town during this time. Uh, let's keep going. Um, when, now when Herod is dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to the dream in Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought to the young child's life are dead. So now he gets permission to go back or go to a different place from where he was hiding his child, which was Jesus Christ, so he wouldn't be murdered. Well, that's the government's decree. Don't we need to listen to the authorities? Let me give you some permission here, and you can write this down. We do not have to obey a government's decree when it contradicts directly the word of God. When it comes against our doctrine of the word of God, that is direct permission for you to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. And let me help you. Some of you uh, fathers that are listening or watching, or some of you mothers that father your house. And you understand what I mean by that. Some of you, uh, the head of the household I want to speak to that have children in your home or have a family set the precedent now before things get tyrannical again i did this uh what was it early last year it was probably a year and a half ago when things settled down after the first covid epidemic and all of the craziness of masks and vaccines as soon as that was at its peak i sat down with my family i said never again we will not bow down to the government's decrees that we disagree with based on our doctrines and the word of God. We won't do it. If we have to change schools, if we have to change cities, if we have to change occupations, I don't, none of those things mean anything to me. What means something to me is the word of God. I sat my family down. We sat at a table. I set a precedent of what our expectations are. So now that the second epidemic, you know, pandemic is rising up, that everybody's been told is going to happen. It's not a mystery. It's not conspiracy. All of the ideas, the concepts of protecting our, our, our lungs and, and putting masks on and getting vaccinated, the new vaccinations, these things are here. It's not, a, it's not a conspiracy. It's already taking place. But I've already set the expectation with my family. My daughter will not wear masks in school. I will not go shop for food with a mask on my face or have to get stuck in the arm with a needle that I don't want to be stuck in the arm with. I will do what my family wants to do, and we will not let the government tell us what to do. I won't do any harm to anybody, but I will not follow the decrees that disagree with this. But if I did that in the midst of it, my family may be already scared, but they're already prepared as we go into this. They already know the expectations going into this. If we've got to change schools, if I've got to quit my job, if I've got to move geographically, we're going to do what we have to do to stay within the confines of the word of God. But you got to set that precedent with your family and set the expectation before it's urgent, before it's too late. You know, at what point is it too late? So point number four, God supports defying government. And we saw that in Matthew two. Let me give you another example. Daniel turned me into the book of Daniel chapter three, Daniel chapter three.
Daniel chapter 3, go to verse 12. We got to get through this fast. As you know, Nebuchadnezzar, I'll paraphrase some of this in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, uh, tells about its size, and he commands. He says, to you it is commanded. This is verse 4, Daniel chapter 3, verse 4. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nation, languages, that that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. This is a government decree. All peoples, nations, languages. He is decreeing something. This is a political or a governmental decree. It is a law that has been put into place in the government. And here we see, jump down to verse, uh, jump down to verse 12. There's a certain Jews whom have set over the affairs of Providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Jump over now to verse, uh, to verse, uh, um, looks like this is verse 15. Now, if you're ready for the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image you, you uh, the image that I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Mocking our God. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I don't, I'm not even going to respond to you on how ridiculous this decree is. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, how do we know that God supports this defying act of government? Shouldn't they just be good little boys? Shouldn't they just be good men and do what they're told to do? Just do what the government's telling you to do. You don't want to be a rebellious person. I hear these psychotic, idiotic people that don't know the word try and quote the word to me over messages and Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger. Well, Dylan, doesn't don't you have to do as a Christian? Aren't you supposed to submit to authority? Yeah, submit to authority, not to tyrannical idiot leaders. That's not what I'm told to do. I don't have to listen to people that defy my God. Let me give you proof of that. Then jump down to verse 25. Look, he said, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. If God didn't believe in defying the acts of government that oppose him, why did he jump down in the fire with them and protect these three boys when they defied the government's uh, tyrannical authority? It's because God supports it. He wants you to be against what the government says if it's against him. I hope that's helping you. Number five, the enemy wants you to be publicly ruined. He wants you to be publicly humiliated. Going back to Colossians 2, for time's sake, I'll just quote it to you. Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy on the cross. A public spectacle. Of the, of, of the enemy when he was crucified on the cross. It says he openly shamed the enemy because he showed what the enemy tried to do and he made it to the glory of God by being hung on a cross, killed, crucified, naked, but was brought back to life and removed the keys of death and gave us the access to heaven and the right to God that we rightly had. So number five, the enemy wants to publicly ruin people 
And that's what he does through government acts like this. He wants you to look like a fool when you're walking around trying to shop for food for your family and go to work and, and bust your tail from day to day, putting a mask on your face so you can barely breathe, injecting yourself that, with, with toxins that destroy your lungs and destroy your heart and destroy parts of your body. He, makes, he wants to make you look like a fool because Jesus made him look like a fool. Uh, finally, number six, last part, spiritual battle is the first priority in this. How do I stand up? How do I become someone that doesn't, I don't want to be a political right wing extremist or a, I don't want to be anything labeled like that. I'm not trying to be patriotic. I'm trying to be patriot, a patriot for the things of God. I don't care. I, I love my country. I want to support my country. The country, not the government, the country, the people, the the place where we live. I'm not in, I'm not in it for the government, but at the same time, I want to defend the things of God. And where does it start? It starts in a spiritual battle. Turn back a couple of, a couple chapters in Daniel to ch- Daniel chapter one. This is how this starts. It doesn't start by you just standing up and and yelling and screaming and trying to be defiant. No, it starts in here. It starts as a spiritual battle. Second Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're spiritual. So it's not a carnal battle. You're not going to attack people. You're not trying to make a scene. You're not trying to make a point. You're trying to do what God's called you to do. But in doing that, it will make an impact and send shockwaves through the environment that you're in. So number six, it is a spiritual battle first. Let me read this to you in Daniel chapter one. Verse eight, but Daniel purposed in his heart, write that down. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse nine. Now, God brought Daniel into the into the favor of and the goodwill of the chiefs and the uh, of the eunuchs and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel I fear my lord the king who has appointed you for food and drink for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men's uh, who are your age then you should endanger my head before the king and then going on he says you won't see me in worse condition because I'm not eating the king's food I'm going to be in better condition cuz I'm eating the lord's food I'm eating the food of the kingdom of heaven Because it starts with verse eight, purposing in your heart that you will not defile yourself with the decrees of this government. It's not about making a point to the government, about making a point to the world that I don't do what the government tells me to do. I'll I'll do what the government says. I'll I'll listen to decrees and laws. I'm not trying to be a lawbreaker. I'll, I'll obey the law. I go the speed limit. My pastor makes fun of me. He says, I drive like a grandmother because I, I don't go 90 miles an hour on the highway. I like to take it nice and easy, just cruise control, adaptive cruise control, and just stay right in my lane, take a couple naps if I can on an hour drive. But I don't like to, I'm not trying to defy the government. That's not my purpose. But if it's, if the government stands between me and my God, guess who's getting left behind? It's not going to be my God. But it starts here. It starts in a spiritual battle. Purpose in your heart. You know, the Bible talks about uh, um, um, it being a, Daniel being in the lion's den because of, of him defying the government's decrees where he was up in his room praying and, and the government comes and takes him 
I'm using government. I know it was military people came and took him, but they take him and cast him in the, the pit of a lion. Why? Because he wouldn't listen to the king's decrees that they couldn't pray to his God. But he, the Bible says that was his custom. It was something he normally did. It wasn't just something he did to be defiant to the government. It was something that he did before the government's decree was in place. So now that the government puts its decree in place, I'm not changing who I am and who I am with my God because you think I shouldn't do it. Not going to happen. So it starts in your heart. It starts with who you are. It starts with a spiritual battle first. Our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are spiritual and we must fight a spiritual battle. Hope this helped you today. This was six points, 6 a.m. Christians and politics. Now you know that you're to follow your God under any circumstance. Love you. Be blessed. Be sure to subscribe, like this show, share it on your page or your Facebook, your Instagram, wherever you can, Twitter maybe. And be sure to tell someone about the show and subscribe to my newsletter as well. And you'll get these six points delivered right to you each morning. Be blessed. I'll see you on the next show. Have a, have a great day today. Love you. Bye-bye.